Torrent Borealis Paradigm Expansion Greetings from the North and welcome to Forum Borealis. Today we finally have a new episode in our Dissident series and I'm uh, going to present for you a heroic Norwegian woman whom you'd be wise listening to as she can give you first-hand witness report about vastly suppressed matters. Our guest is Kari Angelique Jacquesson, a famous fitness coach, aerobics instructor, journalist and TV personality. She is the daughter of Nils Manuel Jacquesson, a well-known entrepreneur in the restaurant sector in Oslo. She has 30 years experience with fitness, diet, health, motivation and lifestyle. In the 80s, she founded the first educational system for aerobics instructors in Norway. She still teaches advanced classes around the country in step and fitness, among else at the national gym chain Elixia, and is the most sought-after coach in the field. Her philosophy is that anyone ought to reach their optimal condition without being pressured into a predefined ideal. Furthermore, she's a well-known lecturer and speaker who can touch, move and inspire, frequently hired to seminars, congresses, kickoffs and corporate courses. A saying about her is that she can motivate a stone to trim. Since 1994, she's been profiled at the major Norwegian media house TV2 and been a regular feature in Good Morning Norway. She's also worked for other major TV stations and a large number of famous programs. She's also been featured as guest, contestant and participant in several Norwegian prime TV programs and reality shows. In 2000, Jacquesson was appointed as Goodwill Ambassador for United Nations Population Fund and worked nationally and globally to increase awareness of women's health rights until 2009. She's also been an ambassador for the health industry and organizations concerned with cancer, heart and pneumonic causes. She's been a board chair for sex and politics, ambassador for fair trade and a co-founder and board member of Gifts who facilitate children's football in Africa. She's been an engaged social commentator women's rights champion and front-page model for the Norwegian magazine MAN. Kari has published six fitness videos and eight books on exercise, diet and lifestyle, of which several bestsellers. She's a recognized journalist for many fitness magazines and websites in the Nordic countries. Uh, she also arranges trim and well-being journeys abroad. Her motto is... Nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. 
A few years ago, she got engaged in the political scene to the great annoyance of the establishment, since she was a popular and outspoken celebrity known for her no-nonsense approach, always speaking from her heart. Her dissident voice has been a disturbing mosquito to the mainstream propaganda. She's journeyed to the Middle East several times, even visiting Syria twice during the war and engaged with the local population as well as officials, volunteers and international independent journalists. She has been frank and loud about what she has learned, tearing down the official image piece by piece. Due to this, she has felt the wrath of the elite and their media henchmen, who have tried to ignore her, silence her and ridicule her to no avail. For this very reason, we are honored to give her a platform at our show to shout to the entire world the incredible contrast that truth is to the mainstream media narrative about the war industry, the demolition of secular Middle Eastern countries and their facilitation and proliferation of terrorism around the world in general and Syria in particular. Her information is fact-based, so everything we discuss in today's show can be verified by anyone who are not too lazy. You know, today, ignorance is a choice, unless you're in prison. One more note. As you know, I am used to interview people all over the globe and rarely have had problems with a line when speaking with people from Tasmania to Arizona. But incidentally, now that both of us were in Norway, unfortunately there's weird disturbances of unknown origin on the sound throughout the show, with occasional choppings and cuts of words and sentences. For the most part, it does, does not ruin your ability to catch what is being said, and we have also tried our best to smooth it in editing. And by the way, we didn't hear any of this at the line when we spoke, so it went straight into the recording. I hope you are not put off from it, because the information aired is so important and already too censored for such a trivial cause to stop it coming out. If you're with us on this, you will be in for a very interesting and enlightening discussion. In part one, we hear the truth about Syria, and in part two... We discuss the deeper aspects, such as the utterly bankrupt media and the fabrication of lies and censorship of truth, the corrupt neocon and neolib politicians whoring for the war industry, and the dangerously amok intel agencies manufacturing of terrorism. All three elements which are essential for the globalist hegemony of the world today. Welcome, Kori. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you here today. I have to tell you before we begin that uh, you're one of my heroes in this country. <laughs> oh, really? Yes, really. Wow. <laughs> I, I so admire you. See, what our audience doesn't know, despite the introduction I gave you, is that... Uh, I mean, it's it's not an inflation to say that you are actually a very famous, uh, I guess, celebrity is the word uh, for your fitness and health uh, career. 
Yeah. And uh, then you just out of nowhere, I mean, you, that's probably the last person one would think would become, <laughs> a, you know, whistleblower, truth seeker, honest journalist. And then you just, bam, went straight into that thing. And, and that's not the point. The point is what it cost you. And we were just talking about it before we started here, uh, that everybody started to attack you when they realized, Jesus, this girl, she has a voice. People know her. And now she's saying these things that we can't have out there, mm. the things that mainstream media never. And probably you didn't know it. Probably you were just honest and naive, but you attracted their wrath. And uh, and because of that, and you riding the storm, all that stuff is, is, is so kudos. It's incredible. Thank you. I appreciate it. But, you know, actually, uh, yeah, I've had a lot of... Uh, Let's call it by its right name, crap, <laughs> sent <laughs> yeah. my way. But yeah. also, and these are the things that you don't see in the media, uh, several times a week, I have people coming up to me who want to shake my hand. Mm. They thank me for what I've done. They thank me for being so clear and, you know, telling them things that they can't see or hear in the mainstream media. Mm. And I have young people coming up to me asking for advice on what I suggest they should read to be more updated. So actually... The media only allows certain voices to be heard, and obviously they are the ones critiquing me, but out on the street, by mail, phone, I get a lot of credit. Yeah, and a lot people. of people are really hungry for more information, yeah. They are, and they don't have that many outlets. We are one of them. You see, uh, in my view, Syria, the Syria condition, is what we could call a smoking gun when it comes to understanding the horror show that is our contemporary media because people people live as if the media was back in the 70s and people still believe that's how the media is yeah and that's how it's the same with the democracy they present everything as if it is how it was without people realizing it's been taken over and and i think uh, your explanation of uh, the syria thing is kind of the smoking gun you only need to realize how far the whole thing is tilted how how utterly constructed and it's, it's incredibly serious, folks. So you'll hear today, we'll be going to start now just by uh, talking about, you're going to present us now how Syria, what uh, the condition there really is, what the country is all about. And when people who doesn't know anything about it hear this, they're going to be so mind blown yeah. that they're going to realize how serious the whole thing is. And that's why they need to crush people like you, Eva Bartlett, and several other independent journalists, because it's the smoking gun. If people just, they, they don't even need to know anything about Daesh, about Israel. They just need to know the truth about how Syria is. When they do that, that alone, <laughs> then they realize, oh my God, what's going on? <laughs> but you know, they, you see what they, I mean? Yeah. But they don't even need to know a single thing about Syria. Actually, I, I will be more than happy to talk about Syria because the just to counter the fake exactly. image that has been presented, and very narrow image that has been presented in the media. But actually, and, and you talked about the media having changed, but has it really or is it just that we have begun to understand how it works because you can go back to any war even the first world war and you will see the role of the media played uh, i remember what i was taught about the first world war in school and everything is a lie later i've been doing my own research into it and especially uh looked at the way the media use you know the propaganda use of the media 
um, especially the British media, yeah. and it's just exactly the same. There is no difference. It's just that what has changed is internet. We can, we, the normal people, the yeah. ordinary citizens, we can communicate at a speed which up until now they haven't been able to stop. They're trying. They're, they're doing everything they can to hinder us from exchanging information. Indeed. But the further I do research into earlier conflicts, it's the same story again and again. It's it's just incredible and it's very painful because I started to do, be interested, especially when Israel bombed Lebanon back in 2006. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, well, obviously the Iraq invasion, which I was just amazed. I remember I met a fellow, uh, I used to work in a TV station in Norway. And uh, I met... That's the, right, uh, TV2, right? Yeah, well, the, yeah, but this was another TV station. At that oh. time, I was doing a project for TV. But it doesn't matter. I met one of the people who were going to work on a show. We were going to make a pilot. Mm. And um, and I said, wow. You, and she's a journalist. She's a she's an educated journalist, although she works with, you know, lighter stuff. And I said, wow, you know, it's just incredible. It's horrible what they're doing to Iraq. And she said... Yeah, but they must be really glad to get rid of him. He is so bad and mean. I said, "Are you are you serious? Are you crazy?" <laughs> you know. They were referring to Saddam or Saddam Hussein. Yeah, mm. and and I couldn't believe the the way Norwegians they just had bought all the vilification of Saddam yeah. Hussein. Like, oh yeah, we're going to save the Iraqi people. Although there was a huge resistance against, we were like. I don't know, maybe 150,000, maybe I'm exaggerating, but one of the biggest demonstrations ever was in 2003. I remember this. There was first well-organized anti-war demonstrations mm. ever and started where the sun rise, some of those islands in the Pacific, and it ended. I, don't, I think Hawaii was the last place it ended. And the world has never seen so many people out in the street Ever. There were millions, yeah. millions, there were record numbers everywhere, England, you name it. And the interesting thing is, this was right before the internet. So we organized all these, got all these people out against Bush, against war. Despite, we didn't have the tools like internet back then. Exactly. But where are the people now, right? <laughs> I, I'd say they are more asleep after, after that than they were then. Yeah. I'd say Libya is a worse example. Yeah, and I did a lot of blogging or some blogging when the Libya thing started because uh, about six or eight months before they started, I heard an interview on the radio with a doctor. Obviously, they always use doctors because they're so reliable, right, <laughs> as witnesses. And I told my partner at that time, I said, because he had lived in Libya, you know, he actually done the, the walk through the Sahara and gone into Libya and had really had a great time in Libya. And I told him, hey, that's a Libyan. A Libyan doesn't speak English like that. Come and listen right, to this. Right. And I knew something was up. And I really followed it really closely. And I couldn't believe, you know, what happened. And that Norway, my home country, bombed. We're having a sort of um, process now where the, they're making a public uh, investigation. But it was insane. But the big difference between Libya and Syria is that the lies came out, you know, now how, how long is it? It's like 10 years since Libya, I don't remember. Yeah, no, it's like seven years. Yeah, not as much as 10. Yeah, but it was so quick. And Syria was prepared. Yeah. Although they, you know, before the Russians came in to help, they were in a really bad state. But they, they knew what was at stake much more. Because the Syrians have been so... You know they've tr they've really managed to 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 uh, protect their country for so long. The lies are coming out before the war is finished. 
You know, the the lies have been exposed because this. You mean the truth? You mean the truth? Yeah, the truths have been. Yeah, exactly. The truth is coming out. The lies have been exposed because they have been so. The, the persistence of the Syrian people is just amazing. You know, they're really. I know, I know, and you know what? I think we'll start there. Actually, I think uh, you you'll start educating or schooling us on <laughs> facts about Syria because to uh, the general, even the general Norwegian, but certainly the general American. Yeah. And I'm not referring to you, listeners. Okay, I know you you listeners are brighter than. But I, can I just say? Can I do a make a request? Sure. Because you have most certainly listeners who are way over the <laughs> main, you know, the the middle America knowledge. And please spread the news. Do it in a smart way because people don't like to be told that they're stupid. But <laughs> if you can just become an ambassador and find a sly way, not sly, but, you know, like a, a smart yeah. way to make people more curious. Oh, it would be wonderful if, if, if each of your listeners could reach 10 people that would be Amazing. Yeah, let's just ask them to reach. Let's see three people. Okay, I'm ambitious. But you know, uh, the title of the show is it's an example of that. You know, what it's going to be called. Did I tell you? Uh, no. Okay. What the shame stream media won't tell you about Syria. Yeah. Mm. It's true, but it's also clickbait. And let us make it very clear: you have been on the ground. You've talked with ordinary Syrians. Yeah. Many, many people. You met them. Mm. I mean, you're not paid by anyone to say these things. No. Uh, no. Etc. People need to understand where you're coming yes, from. Yes, I'm completely independent. Yeah. It's like someone came to where I'm at now and talked with me and I said, yes, this is what's going on yes, in this country. Yes. I would rather believe that than someone who's paid by the authorities. Yes. I have no dog in the fight, as they say. So the last year I, I went to Damascus, Malula, which is a mainly Christian village that was severely hit where they destroyed, you know, the oldest churches in the world are in Syria. Yeah. So they, the terrorists, they burned, looted killed Christians, kidnapped nuns. Invaluable uh, cultural treasures uh, gone, lost. Exactly. So I was there. You know, this is, Malula is a place where they still talk. They speak uh, the same language like like Jesus. Yeah, Aramaic. Yeah. And I went to Aleppo and to Homs. So I went in many different places. This year I was only in the Damascus region because my stay was a little bit shorter. The first time I paid everything myself. The second time I did a crowdfunding. I asked people help. So ordinary people, they helped me finance the trip. So I'm 100% independent. Mm. And I could walk wherever I wanted. I could talk to whomever I wanted. We did not have like a weapon, uh, you know, armed guard or anything like that. Like last year, we were a group of international people who met through Facebook. We organized ourselves. We we, we came to Beirut. How, how were you received by local people? Oh, amazing. You know, people are so happy that we came and, and and that's what everybody, you know, you'll find a lot of people who have gone to Syria independently. They will all tell you the same thing. But even parliamentarians, some European parliamentarians have gone. They all have the same experience. Despite the blockage? Yeah. They are interested. They, they want to tell their story. They are welcoming, you know, the hospitality is just amazing. So... I really urge people to go. Americans definitely should go. You will. Americans need to travel more anyway. You know, they need to challenge. Yeah. The, <laughs> they won't even get a passport. They're living in their own prison over there, you know. Yeah, you know, it's actually, I think, the only country where the government prohibits people from going places. Yep. I don't know of any other country. But please, Americans, travel. 
you have no idea how well you will be received and you will see a different world because I've lived in the United States. I've lived there. I was an exchange student there for a year. Oh, where did you and live? And I've been in New Jersey. Right. Yeah, and I've been to United States at least yeah, 12, 15 times. I don't I have countless because sure. I have lots of friends there. I've gone to fitness conventions there because of my work and I know it quite well. I mean, not mid-America, but East Coast and some mm. of the South. And you know, most Americans are nice people. Especially rural, rural Americans, I say. Yeah, you know, and I really believe that Americans think that they, the government is trying to save people in other parts of the world. Many, many yeah. think so. But listen, it's a lie. <laughs> they never do. Especially the, the, the neoliberal uh, stooges. But let's start with, uh, with that. Uh, educators, because the general idea is that Syria is like, it's a bunch of black clothed, uh, you know, this, you know, fanatical. <laughs> exactly. And it is in the areas that gets financial support from the West. That's the crazy part. If you look at the people, right now there aren't that many areas under siege. No, let's start with how Syria was oh. before all this shit happened. Oh, okay. Unfortunately, uh, I was supposed to go to Syria in 2000 and. 2008, I think, because one of my clients, my fitness clients, she used to live there and she told me how wonderful it was. And yeah, it was just amazing. And I was so, but Lebanon was on my list first and then I was supposed to go to Syria. But then that didn't happen. And then, you know, the whole propaganda thing started and I got into with people and I started to research Syria and I looked at the material that people were shown and the, the rhetoric. So, most people think there's only one person living in Syria, and that's Assad. <laughs> because one of the first things you do when you want to demonize a country and make it easy to attack and make people accept that you attack is to make a country into one person. So Syria becomes Assad, Russia becomes Putin, Venezuela becomes Maduro. Yeah, we're going to sanction Assad. Mm. No, in Syria there are 23 million people. 23 million people. So... It's a, it's a, well, compared to Norway, it's a quite a big population. We are only 5 million, but the Syria itself as a country is quite small. It's less than half of the uh, surface of Norway and more than half of it is desert. So it's quite densely mm. populated. And the capital Damascus is 10,000 years old and it has been inhabited for 10,000 years uninterrupted. Yeah. There's no other city like that in the world. So you can imagine that the history and the civilization is so old and it's so sophisticated. And what's amazing for me, because I've been to Syria twice now, both times during the war, once in April 2017 and once recently in April this year. So brave. Um, the level of sophistication and knowledge among anyone you meet mm. about the civilization, the culture, the poetry, the art, history it's amazing if you if you meet a regular norwegian or american you know they they don't really know anything about their country no and i think i yeah. think uh, uh, very powerful is is visuals but there's very little coming out of syria when it comes to that but i have to say um just a basic thing, like uh, it, there's so many ethnic groups who live there. There's so many religions. People don't even know that. I, I think even the Druze, Syria. Oh yeah. Syria has Druze too, right? Not just oh, Israel and Lebanon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, oh, it's it's you have all sorts of Christians, you know, different uh, type of Christian uh, beliefs, you know, Catholic, Orthodox, Protestants, all types. You have Sunni Muslims, Shia. You have Armenians. You have uh, Armenic and Coptic. Yeah, Druze. You had you had. Well, now I think there's not a lot. There are not a lot of Jews, but actually on the street that I live, there's a Jewish store. Okay. Um, but this is particular for Syria now, but that used to be the norm mm. in that region until the colonizers came. And, and, and Assad and, and, and uh, his family isn't even um, Sunni or... Yes, his wife is Sunni, yeah. His right. wife is Sunni yeah. and he himself is Alawite. Alawite, right? And yeah. Alawite is a minority even within Shia. Yeah, and uh, that's the, you know, the, the main object of hatred of the terrorists are the Alawites. I have a personal friend who was in Dara, you know, where the whole thing started. And he was in the army and uh, as a doctor, he's a medical doctor. Mm. So he was working in the hospital in Dara. And he said, you know, when the demonstration started, there were no cries for democracy or anything like that. It was the Alawites to the grave and the Christians to Beirut. What they were shouting for was a genocide. Mm. And it shouldn't come as a surprise because... You know, more the terrorist groups that are different, but it doesn't really matter what name they choose. It's the same thing. It's just a game with the, the alphabet. But they all have different sponsors, and many of them have been directly by Saudi Arabia. Yeah, we will get to who's behind the fundamentalists. Yeah, yeah, but they're just hatred for anything Shia. You know, it comes from the it comes from the Saudi family. You know, it does. Mm. And we're gonna we're gonna get to the bastards. To to yeah, uh, I, I call Saudi Arabia Satan's Vatican <laughs> on earth. But well, but we'll get back yeah. to that. Uh, I, I want you to tell us a little more about uh, how the condition of Syria. I mean, how how is it for women? How was it yeah. for schooling, all that stuff, you know, the secularism, just let people understand this. Yeah, it's 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 secular, but not anti-religious, because a lot of people seem to think that in a secular-run country, there's no religion, but there's definitely freedom of faith. Yeah. But, but uh, Syrians don't talk about that. They don't divide their people into sectarian groups. You know, they it, everybody told me, it's always been regarded as completely impolite, like something you just don't do to ask people what sort of religion they have. It, it doesn't matter. They are all Syrians, mm. you know, and that's it's this pan-Arabic uh, mentality that also used to be dominant in Iraq before the invasion. I have been told I haven't been to Iraq, so this is just something people have told me. But But there's been – but you have to understand that Syria has been – the object of so many attacks. I mean, practically everyone has tried to colonize, has also been colonized, for example, by the French. So there are a lot of older Syrians who speak perfect French. Right. But the thing is, and I, this is something that really made me, uh, I, I liked the way uh, he was a Baptist uh, priest that I met last year in Aleppo. And he said, you know, in Syria, we don't have any minorities. Everyone's majority. <laughs> okay. So, and and also the way that uh, President Assad, he doesn't talk about so-called minorities, something to tolerate. It's part of Syria. It, it's So it's a total different uh, mentality. So all this divide and rule sectarianism that the West is trying to, to, to use to split Syria, because that's the big plan. Yeah is completely up, uh, in opposition to the Syrian culture. We will get that. But it's, it's yeah. the only Arabian country without state religion, right? Yes, it is. Absolutely. And you can feel it because, you know, you 
for example, I was in a restaurant uh, in Damascus mm. when I was there a few months ago, and there was there were two big parties. One was a communion. I don't know if that's the way to say it in English. Mm. Uh, a Christian family who celebrated the communion uh, of their daughter, and on the and they were Christians. And on the other big table, there was uh, a birthday party when you saw that they were Muslim because some of the women had headscarf and some didn't, because you and they were just so they can they can intermarry freely without a problem between religions. Ah. Uh, Yeah, there's been some kind of legislation. There's been some kind of, not obstacle, but less uh, smooth uh, operation to that before. But this is a law that's now changing to make it easier because you had to marry in the religious institutions before. And now they're working on abolishing that so that it's just the state, hmm. you know, to free people furthermore from, from this type of uh, cultural and religious uh, thing but there are yeah interracial uh, interreligious marriages as has been the case for example in north africa before for centuries right. it was quite ordinary for muslims and jews to be married or muslims and christians no problem hmm. so and also the one thing that strikes you when you come to syria as a few other countries in the world is the absence of globalism right and this is striking because we are so used to it uh, you know our societies it these days you know it doesn't matter if you're in budapest or in uh, san francisco it looks pretty much the same commercial wise right you have mm. the same chains the same everything but in syria uh, and in our in our iran may i add you don't have that if you can you can go through a street with let's say there's a neighborhood for stereo like All the shops are selling electronics, stereos. Mm -hmm. You could have like a hundred shops, and each shop is is uh, is privately owned. Right. And this is a lovely thing that we've lost. Yeah. And it's it gives you a sense that it's quite difficult to describe with words, but you feel like you're in another world, a nicer world. Yeah, because uh, that's how capitalism was intended, like a free market. They talk about the free. We do, we haven't had a free market ever. I'm not even talking about social democracy. I'm talking in big capitalist countries like America. It's corporacy. It's monopoly. Mm. And when you have the big corporations taking over globalization, then uh, uh, you lose that uh, direct connection. You know that you get uh, between person to person. If 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 you have a real market, it's like a yeah, you lay a marketplace, right? Yeah. So everybody has something to sell and and offer, and that's connecting people. That's democracy. But then people can uh, decide. But when you have this uh, globalization, and that's the clue, I think, the fact that Syria hasn't been victim for that yet is one of the reasons they won't take them. And you said something very interesting in your uh, lecture. You said that they... Uh, tell us about the food situation before we go to the politics. Yeah. So it's important to know that Syria has been under severe sanctions since 200, uh, uh, 2011. And I want to just to remind people of the horrible sanctions yeah. that Iraq suffered. People don't even understand what that is. What does that no, even mean? Because, yeah, because that's exactly. People think that, oh, sanctions, right, so they can't buy, uh, uh, you know, uh, computers. If you try to read the documents describing the sanctions, you might just as well commit yourself to an asylum because you are <laughs> going to go crazy. Because the evilness of the detailing of the sanctions 
makes you wonder about humanity because every little aspect of society is being targeted. You have the prohibition of import and export, which means you can't take any money out and you can't get in. For example, I'll give you a, just a trivial example. When I was recently, I got myself a, a Syrian uh, phone number, a SIM card, mm-hmm. and I wanted to download uh, in another second phone and I wanted to download some apps. Syria doesn't even exist. You know, you can't use App Store in Syria because of the sanctions. They won't let you. You can't use your credit card anywhere, so you have to have cash with you at all times. Politicians, scientists, everybody's prohibited from traveling. That They can't enter any other country. There's no planes going in and out of uh, most airports. Like It's like sealing up the country. It's like making Syria into a concentration camp, right? That's exactly it. Syria used to export medicine to 100 countries. They were self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. They exported cheap medicine to 100 countries before the crisis and before the sanctions. And now children are dying because the sanctions prohibits the import of certain ingredients to make medicine or even the medicines. Mm. So, and that's, I want people to think about that. These are, you know, they say they sanctioned the regime. That's what they say. Mm. The so-called regime, I'm putting quotation marks here, are the last people to be hit by sanctions. And they say themselves, I was in a meeting last year with the media counselor of uh, President Assad, Bhutan Shaban, and she said so. It's it's so evil because it's the, it's the most uh, vulnerable people of our society who are most suffering from these sanctions, you know. Mm-hmm. We are not suffering. We are, you know, Obviously. let's be, yeah, we're on top of the food chain here, so... And at the same time, so because, you know, one of the main sources of information, I'm again using quotations mark on information, from Syria to the mainstream media has been the white helmets. Yeah? Oh, my God, we'll get to no, that. No, no, I, I have to say this now, because okay. they have received hundreds of millions of dollars in support mm. from United States and Britain mainly, but also other countries, because they save lives. Okay, so with one hand, you're sanctioning them 90% of the Syrian people. You're making them starve. The hospitals, they can't, you know, let's say just a machine to do dialysis. Is that the word in yeah, English? Dialysis, yeah. uh, for, for kidney, people suffering for kidney disease, they can't buy it. a little screw missing. They mm. can't buy it because then if a company sells something to Syria, they can have in the United States, millions in fines and 25 years in prison. It's very strict. Wow. So they can't, even if they wanted to, they can't do it. Can, can you give it for free? Uh, probably not. I mean, the, the, the sanctions are so detailed. Yeah. You could probably go there and have them in your pocket. But you can imagine a country with tw- over 20 million people, you need stuff, right? Of course. You need stuff. But at the same time, they claim that they are... They, they want to support the White Helmets for saving lives. You know, that one piece of information will tell you what a big lie and, and uh, bluff the White Helmet concept is. And still people believe it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's founded by uh, British intelligence, MI5 or 6. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not even a Syrian nation. But just the fact that they're saying, they're highlighting them as somebody, as an organization who is saving lives, and at the same time, they're trying to kill and starve yeah. 20 million people. You see, it doesn't add up. No. So if only people, and, and the presentation that I had here in Norway recently, my main message was, think for yourself. Look at the information. 
and think for yourself because all the information I gave in that presentation are fact-based, verifiable information. And it doesn't add up. It doesn't. And, and that gap between the facts and the propaganda yeah. is, is so huge that it's uh, But it's so easy. But people are so afraid even to look at it because it hurts when you understand that our politicians are lying us straight up in the face. You know, they yeah. that's painful. And I really understand that because once you've been... You were talking about the 70s and democracy and this and that. And of, of course, we're all raised, especially in the West where we think that we live in democracies. Mm. We have a certain notion of what our society is. That's what we've been told. And once you start to realize that it's not like that, it's physically painful. People have a lot of resistance. Yeah. They just can't make themselves believe the whole world falls down, you know, everything you've been taught. I mean, and that's why you get so much aggression from people too, because uh, you become the personalized, you become the messenger of bad news, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't want to hear that I have cancer, so let's, uh, you know, let's attack the the doctor or the mailman who, who tells me this. Uh, they're in denial. Mm. But, you know, people need to see because there's austerity politics being this all over Europe and certainly yeah. in the United States, you know. Yeah, yeah. So people are being robbed and it's important for people to realize the connection between all these wars that are filling the pockets of filthy rich people and their own difficult living conditions. Yeah. Because, for example, in the United States, they, they have 45 million people living in poverty, of whom 15 million people are, are of them are children. Children who don't know when or if their second meal is coming. Yeah. So you have millions of Americans who are denied basic health services. You have, I think there are about two or 3,000 uh, places in the United States that have poisoned water. You have all these things. And the reason is they're spending you know, half of the country's income on war. But when you spend money on war... The money doesn't dissipate. It's not like it's disappearing. It's just gone, going from the, the public treasury mm. that's supposed to be used for the good of the people in that country to kill people in other countries and a huge profit to people who are administrating these businesses because it's an industry. Yeah, they're using, they're using the state as their um, trough. They are basically, it's a way to plunder the state. Absolutely. The same you see in healthcare industry. It's not, I mean, the sickness industry, the prices for medicine over there and uh, the, yeah. the, the, everywhere that they can profit. But now we're at America. I still want to say uh, about... Ah, sorry. <laughs> Everything is connected, you see. Right. The point is that when a superpower goes to war somewhere, so they have to sell you the war. They have to convince people in their own country that that country is so horrible off. You know, the leaders are blood drinking, sadist, <laughs> yeah. crazy people, gassing their own people, which is one of the memes, you know, for the Syrian crisis. Oh, he's gassing his own people. Very easy to understand. And it's been illustrated with a lot of horrible images. And people just respond emotionally. And this is a yeah. technique that's well known for anybody who has studied propaganda. What you want is an extreme, strong and powerful emotional reaction in the viewer because you can come with tons of facts afterwards to tell them, no, it's not like this, look at that, and it doesn't matter. The impact in their emotional emotions have been made. That's, that's the truth that they are going to, to rely on. And you can sell them the words. I will tell you, there's 
millions of people in the West who keep repeating, oh, Assad, he's a horrible dictator. He's killing his own people. Mm. No, but more and more, we say the middle class, because they're really poor people. Uh, they dumb people down and they make them poor. They're not even interested. They don't, what, Syria, Iraq, I don't know what. It, I don't know. No, they don't have the energy. Have the time. Whatever, the education. Mm. So for them, it's just a blur of something. They can't relate to. They need food on the table today. But at the same time, the poor people are the ones who have the most solidarity. Oh, yeah. On a personal basis, yes. Yeah. If they woke up and saw the class aspect of all this, they would certainly become a force in society. But as you say, you know, they don't have the energy because because of the austerity politics, they don't have, you know, even if they work full time, they can't even have a living wage. So they work. And, and the richer you are, uh, statistically, this is scientifically verified, the more psychopathic you are. Yes, this is correct. So... This is it's a correlation here, but let's. Uh, it's it's your prerogative to rant on as you freely <laughs> want, and <laughs> you it's can my stop me though. it's my duty to to gently guide this, right? Yeah. Uh, and I'm trying to guide it now back to the fact that we, we're going to get to the politics. But I'm so impressed with they have half of Syria is desert. It's like fifty six, fifty eight percent. Yeah, more than half, and they export food even under the war. Yes, they and do. And they have an organic um, agriculture. Oh my yes. God. Yeah. Yes. But, you know, they used to have that in Iraq as well. The first things the Americans uh, uh, did when they took over yeah. was because Iraq, uh, as in Syria, they have a huge tradition for seeds. You know, they collect seeds. Right. It's like uh, hundreds, maybe thousands of years old tradition. Uh, so the first the American administration who were put up in Iraq did, they gave all the rights to Monsanto. They practically destroyed like thousands of years of agricultural tradition. Jesus. And so it's uh, there. I don't know if it's a hundred percent organic, but a lot of it is. And during the crisis, because they couldn't sell uh, to their ordinary customers, there has been export. Yeah, I mean, if Europe doesn't want their lemons, they they should find yeah. others. But of course, the export has suffered immensely. And also, you know, the 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 terrorists they they target important infrastructure like uh, the the corn silos and other important things that also targeted the agriculture yeah yeah and, and, and we're told uh, by our media we're going to go back to media critic later but we are told that oh Assad is a dictator and this is a dictatorship and people are so suppressed mm. and it's the regime right the regime <laughs> you know you know French you know that just means government but anyway we will get to the memes and the words but let's let's get some few facts about uh, Syrian politics yeah so you know the the one of the the accusations against Syria was that the uh, previous president was the the current president's father, you know, and he, I mean, he took over a shipwreck of a country because everybody tried to colonize it and it was just, you know, total instability and yeah. So people say that he used a tough hand. Most probably he did, and you have mm. to. It's it, there were groups who were trying to terrorize and and. And make their own little power p positions. And 1982, there was an, uh, uh, an uh, uproar, you know, uprise, sort of uprising. It depends what you want to call it. But the people behind it was the Muslim Brotherhood. Right. And the Muslim Brotherhood, that's not nice people. And uh, so for sure, there were rough methods. I don't know. I can't say there was. I can't say there wasn't. But it would be strange if they weren't like in any type of situation where you have 
people taking up arms against the government. Mm. No country in the world will accept that. Mm. And then um, the current president become, became president. He was not supposed to. It was his brother who was supposed to. But he did. This eye doctor, who is very mild-mannered and extremely well-spoken. If you see interviews with him, you will see that he's been consistent since he came to power up until now. He's been very consistent. You can even see him interviewed in English, so you don't oh, need to absolutely. rely on translations. Yeah, he speaks very good English. And I really recommend people to do so and and to really listen because his message has been consistent all the time. And yeah. he is so faithful to his country and to the principles of the pan-Arabism, which is that it's one people. You know, we are all Syrians and we all belong here. Mm. And then uh, there used to be only one uh, political party, they say, but actually the National Socialist Party, I think, I'm not quite sure, but it's really old. It was founded in the 20s. Yeah. And the first women organizations are almost 100 years old, maybe more. So women have been well represented for and I mean, they have a much better democracy than, let's say, USA, because, I mean, they have everything from, from nationalists to communists. Yeah, they have... Uh, <laughs> the religious parties, they have everything. Yeah, it's they a, don't really have religious parties. That's one thing. You can't, because they want really? to... No, I don't think so. What about the Muslim Brotherhood, then? That is not a political party. They, they are not on any list. Like, if you... Oh, if okay. you yeah, if okay. you go on the list of political parties, you have, like, Three, four, five, six socialist parties. You have three communist parties. You have the social nationalist party. You have, uh, you know, different sort of names with democracy, democratic in them. And then, of course, you have the the biggest one, the the socialist Ba'ath party, and that's the socialist uh, party, which means that they. And that's what you saw in Iraq as well. You know, they have services for the people as a huge priority. So all health services are free. All education, including university, is free. Housing uh, is inexpensive. And so you have all these services that for many Western uh, people are huge expenses. For example, higher education in many Western mm. countries is way out of reach for people with... Uh, but that means they don't have poverty. They have higher education. No, they do have poverty. Oh, no, of course they do. Yes, absolutely, they do. But still, there are services that are also accessible for free. Yeah, but, but did people so, die of hunger before the war? Uh, I have never heard about that. Ob obviously, they have poverty, but, but I mean like that kind of poverty. No, I've never heard about that. And also, you have to think about this. During the crisis, or the invasion of Iraq, more than a million Iraq came to Syria. Yeah. I mean, maybe even close to two million. Huge, huge number of people. And they also have Palestine refugees. Yeah. Yes, uh, several, more than half a million Palestinian refugees. You don't have a single refugee camp uh, in the sense that we could think of camps with tents and whatnot. Yeah. People open their homes. It's actually illegal to have tent camps in Syria. Wow. And I visited a, a refugee camp uh, when I was there in April now, where there were 17,000 people, no tents, no tents, building. Okay. So they live decent. I would say relatively decent. And, and people own their homes. Contrary to the Palestinian refugees in Lebanon, because on my way to Syria, I was also in the Shatila camp in Beirut, mm. uh, which their living conditions are really, really bad. And they have no rights. For example, as a Palestinian, you can't work.
you can't buy. And for example, there's a Palestinian woman living in Norway. And she bought an apartment in Beirut, mm-hmm. but because she's Palestinian, she's not allowed to rent it to anybody. And if she doesn't present herself there, like every three or six months, they will expropriate it and sell it. But in Syria, they enjoy all civil rights. But some people say, yeah, but they don't get citizenship. And of course not, because that's the point of making life miserable for Palestinians in the occupied areas. If they take another citizenship, they don't have the right to return anymore. You see? And they're rid of them. Yeah. Yes, then they're rid of them. So I think we'll get to Israel and their talk tactics too. But uh, yeah. you said in your lecture that there were over a thousand candidates who wanted to... Uh, that the parliament did because yeah so you see people say dictatorship so what's a dictatorship well how do you there's a definition for a dictatorship in a dictatorship all power is in the hands of one person or a very small group of people okay mm. so obviously that's not the case in syria since they have a parliament with 250 uh, representatives from all over syria so each region have their regional representative, just like in most other countries that have parliamentarism. And in the parliament in Syria, there are people from different political parties and 50 uh, representatives who are non-partisan, who are didn't. Mm. So obviously this can't be a dictatorship. But even if, so so this, this eliminates the idea that Uh, Syria is a dictatorship because you have 250 elected representatives in the parliament. And you have a female speaker even. Oh yeah, you have lots of women in high positions in Syria. Absolutely. Uh, but let's say, let's. But obviously, and then you have the pres- presidential election, and anyone of who's born in Syria can become a, a presidential candidate. And for the parliament, there were a thousand people running for office, so 250 got the place. And in the presidential uh, election, there were also several candidates. Uh, but obviously, President Assad got a majority of votes. And this is something that really annoys me, because when I talk to people and I say, well, they had elections, they'll go, yeah, <laughs> elections. Yeah, mm. like they can have free and fair elections. Yeah, they can. In fact, in fact, they are more free and fair than in America. Yeah. Uh, and, and the elections, they say like, uh, oh, there's election fraud, whatever. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'd rather give my physical vote in Syria that's counted by a living person than going to an American voting machine. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, in 2014, there was a presidential election. And uh, in most, I think maybe all except Sweden. Yeah. The the countries refused Syrian embassies to arrange uh, for people to come and vote. Wow. They didn't want to let Syrians vote. So what happened? They sabotaged the Syrian election. They sabotaged, yeah, they did. So what did Syrians do? They chartered airplanes to Beirut to vote. And I've been to the Syrian embassy in Beirut. It's not big. And there were, I don't know, like... It, When you look at the the videos, it looks like hundreds of thousands. They have to stay open an extra day. It was immense runs. People wanted to vote, but they didn't remember. They didn't vote. They were refugees. These were people outside of Syria. They really wanted to vote. And who did they vote for? In the you know majority, voted for President mm. Assad. These were people who were outside of Syria. They wanted to vote. Now, the only countries who did not accept the outcome of the vote are the same countries who have been working for regime change since 
you know, people say it started in 2011. No, no, no. The plans for it has been laid out in 1986. Declassified CIA documents show that the exact recipes by using jihadis, I mean, the whole thing is outlined in 1986. Mm -hmm. So, and there were uh, observers from different countries. I don't remember where the observers came from, but there were observers from countries like they have in most elections, you know, and they were very satisfied. So it's only the countries responsible for regime change uh, who did not accept the outcome of the election. But, but Sweden didn't sabotage it. I'm so amazed about that. Good on them. Good on them. Yeah, you know, Sweden is not a NATO member. <laughs> right, right, right. There you, yeah, uh, yeah. They still have a, a little bit of independence, but it's getting close, you know. They, they are starting to, yeah. Mm. And, and if it wasn't for the fact that uh, they're attacked, I don't think Assad would get that much support. It's natural in times of war, when there's an exterior enemy, everybody bands together. It happens everywhere since time immemorial. So if people really wanted to get rid of Assad, they should immediately stop uh, attacking the country and they should leave it to the, you know, the natural, the real opposition. To, yeah. Because they're very educated. You said yourself that they have yes, free very. all the way up to university free, right? And they learn about democracy in school. They learn about politics. Whereas in our countries, they don't. I have two kids. They didn't learn anything <laughs> these things in school. But <clears throat> of course, the war made him immensely popular. Not because he's some kind of mythical superhero, but people saw the leadership. Mm -hmm. They saw the leadership. You know, the people who are behind this war. They have extremely efficient intelligence. They try to get anything on God. And I'm not saying this for, my, for myself. I'm quoting one of the representatives from the opposition. Yeah. Because uh, each time I went, I had a meeting with one of the representatives for the National Socialist Party, who was in opposition to the Ba'ath Party. Mm. And he said, you know, that... He actually quoted, he, he, he talked about Mossad and he said, you know, they are the main, the experts to find dirt on people. They will find anything. They were not able to find anything on Assad. They, he has been offered billions. He could go anywhere in the world. And people know this. And he stayed. Why does he stay in Syria? You know, he doesn't have to. Is it because he's some kind of power-hungry, crazy maniac who wants to rule <laughs> his people? Uh, so many of the Syrians that I've talked to said that, yeah, we used to see him in the street all the time, you know, driving or even walking and you could go up to him and shake his hand. And, you know, we are so used to despising our leaders so much that it is impossible for us to imagine that in other places people can actually like and admire their leaders. Yeah. But, I mean, it's no wonder, because even during the war, the civil institutions are still standing, right? They are. And this is something that we don't know. And that's important, because if you should make uh, up your... If you should create an impression of what Syria is like from the mainstream media, look at the photo material that we've been presented. It's all rubbles, all bombed out buildings, which are not actually mm. bombed, because you can see when a building is bombed and when there's been a shootout. There's a huge difference. Um, people mm. with white helmets on their head running towards the camera with a baby in the, their arms. You know, when you put together all the different photos that we've been presented from Syria, you will see, wow, <laughs> they all look the same. We, and mm. that's the reason why I went the first time last year, because I was so, uh, you know, 
angry or I don't know what word to use over the this fake imagery that are mid- pure fabrication. Yeah, pure fabrication, and they pre- pretend like the ninety percent of the Syrian people did not exist. There was Assad and poor civilians mm. running away from bombs. They did not show any terrorists. They did not show any soldiers. Soldiers have died to protect their homeland. Imagine that, 150,000 ordinary Syrians, because the Syrian army... Yeah, tell us, who is the Syrian army? Yeah, the Syrian army is the people. Mm. It's the people. And it's people from all religions. It's just ordinary people. Of course, you have some professional officers and so forth, like you have in every country, but it's an army of the people. It's not mercenaries. It's ordinary people. And the atrocities that have been committed by the terrorists to the Syrian soldiers, it's just disgusting. And, you know, the the terrorists, they love to brag. There is so much material on the internet. Some have been deleted by YouTube. I hope somebody mm. have downloaded everything because it's evidence. We know, we know. They're eating hearts. Yeah. Imagine if you're a normal citizen and you hear that Daesh, which is, you know... But he was not from Daesh, I have to tell you. The guy who, who took a bit... The guy, the terrorist... It's not just one guy. Many people well, this. yeah, but but he's the he was like one of the first to uh, to come out on the net. Mm. Uh, that's a guy from Free Syrian Army that was one of the so-called moderates and corporate uh, cooperatives of the yeah. of United States. Mm. Yeah, he cut open the chest uh, of a Syrian soldier that soldier that he killed and took a bite of his heart and one more organ, I think, and threatened, you know, yes, Bashar al-Assad, this is what we're going to do to your dogs. Mm. But there are tons of material of executing uh, prisoners of war, which is completely a war crime, uh, torture, rape, decapitation. Put the heads on, on spikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, it's like, you know, if you want to summarize what has happened to Syria, it's like somebody let loose a splatter movie yeah. on their country. Yep. The hounds of hell are loose. Yeah, the hounds of it is. It is not an exaggeration. It's not an exaggeration. And it just came like this, bam! People think it, oh, it comes from their own, they are fundamentalists. It's imported from... The, most of the terrorists are imported. Mercenaries. Yeah, mercenaries, yeah. Most of them... Well, the thing is, and this is something that I said early on in Norway, where people were just... You know, I said, look, the people are joining ISIS, for example. Maybe, I'll, I'll admit, maybe some of them are like really fanatical newborn uh, Muslims, mm. you know, maybe. That's okay. I can believe that. And it's just by coincidence that it's Daesh that they're joining. They could just as well have become football hooligans. These are the lost kids who are just looking for adventure and yeah. belonging because the recruit, the recruiting videos that they put out on the net, they're very seducing. You know, it's a brotherhood, yeah. riding horses, Emotional. you know, yeah. very, very emotional. Identity. Ah, yeah. Come here. Join Every, us. All the cliches. Mm. But... And I listened in an interview on the radio, like early 2015, I said, but, you know, the people behind this are totally cynical. They don't care about religion. and that this is a criminal syndicate. Mm. And we, and this, of course, has been exposed. It's, they used a lot of the same mercenaries that they used in Libya. Some of them have been identified from Chechnya, you know, that yeah. was the same. They did the same against Russia, but Russia managed to crush it early. But that's what happened in Chechnya. I don't know how to say it in English. Chechnya. Chechnya. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So this is an old recipe. It's recycling of mercenaries. And if and Turkey, a NATO country, 
if they had closed their boards right away, yeah. that this thing would have been over in three months. But the, they went back and forth all the time. And I've met people who have been eyewitnesses from uh, people from Gaziantep. It's a Turkish town just across the border from Syria. And they said, yeah, it's easy. You just pay $1,000 each way and they, they let you through. Yeah. So Turkey has been hugely involved in this from the beginning. And last year I went to Aleppo, you know, mm-hmm. and this is the thing. You've read these horror stories about Aleppo in December 2016, just before the liberation. It, it was just, it was insane. It, the, the, the propaganda and the media frenzy was something we've never seen before. Mm. And they gave us the impression that the whole town was bombed, it was in ruins, and people were starving, and this and that. But actually, it's a part of the city that had been sieged by the terrorists, the eastern part. And yeah, there was a lot of destructions, but you could see there had not been a lot of bombing, because, you know, when the, when you bomb something, it's being destroyed from above. Yeah. But there had actually been shootouts house from house to house, and the Syrian uh, government, they made corridors, they tried to save as many civilians as possible, so they made these corridors, and they dragged out time, you know, they 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 tried to bargain with the terrorists, and this and that. <clears throat> but the western part of the city was completely intact, except for the fact that almost 15,000 people in western Aleppo had been killed by missiles and rockets and mortars from the terrorists in the eastern part of Aleppo. Now, have you heard about that mm. in your media? No, you have not. And tens of thousands mm. more have been, you know, injured for life. So the, they they told the tale of Al-Qaeda in the eastern Aleppo. They didn't tell us about all the civilians who were under siege, but when they came out, when the city was, li- or that part of the city was liberated by the Syrian army, People talked. They told us about the conditions. Did we hear about that in the Western media? No. No. When Aleppo was liberated, everything went silent. Did they rejoice? The people free? No. They lost interest. Do you, do you think the, the leaders in uh, uh, countries like our own got that information? I mean, to what extent are they idiots or to what extent are they cowards? That's the big question. Yeah, and that's a very important question. Who are you listening to? Who are your... your uh, Advisors. And, yeah, uh, and who is... Give, because there have only been two sources of information, and that's Al-Qaeda, who controlled all the information coming out of the besieged areas like East Aleppo, Eastern Ghouta, hmm. uh, Idlib now. And, yeah, I don't know. I can't give you the answer, but I have access to the information, which means they should have access to the information. Yeah. But unfortunately, my country is what we can call a puppet government completely under the thumb of the United States. Yeah. We don't have an independent foreign policy. No. I'm sad to say so, but it's, that's a fact. And there's no difference if it goes from the conservatives to the socialists. No, there's no difference. For example, if there was an, um, uh, how do you call it, uh, they all voted yes to bomb Libya. Yeah. But there is not a single public document to show the process. It was all done by SMS and blackmailing. and so. Against their own laws. Yeah, against our own constitution. In, in fact, they're starting to be a sweat now. In the future, if we get restore some sort of democracy, uh, they can be in big trouble. They could get... Uh, yeah, they're uh, all war criminals. Yep, 
Yeah. But obviously in the areas where the terrorists, the fundamentalists take over, there, of course, the civilian institutions collapses, right? And it becomes barbary. It becomes uh, extreme fascism, 10 times worse than Stalin and Hitler's um, regimes. And, yeah. and but, but how are they able to keep up hospitals, uh, pharmacies, schools, libraries? And I, I think you, you said even that... You mean in the free areas or... In the free areas. And you said even that they had the biggest cancer hospital or something like that? Ah, uh, no, that was a really, that was the Alkindi hospital. It was the biggest and most, uh, you know, advanced cancer treating hospital in the whole Middle East. You can see it. it's on YouTube how they bomb it. They drive it, the terrorists. Yeah. They drive a big truck of explosives into the hospital, which is for patients, scientists, doctors, and they bomb it. And they destroy it. Yeah, that was about 2014, I think. I don't remember. And people free. Yeah, it was all free. If you were there, if an American was there as a tourist and something happened, you get treatment. Yeah, you would get free treatment. More than you get in your own country. Yeah, yeah. And can you imagine, this is something that Americans should know. There is no hostility against American citizens. I've been traveling with Americans in Syria. I've been traveling with Americans in Iran. Mm. They are so well-treated and welcomed. So, And they have every reason to despise Americans, actually, for what their government has been doing to their country. Yeah, but I think many of them understand that ordinary Americans are brainwashed. They do. Everyone. I've never heard a single hostile word against American people mm. from anyone I met in Syria on both my trips, nor in Iran, where I was last year in August. So they realize it's the, it's the regime, right? The American regime. Yeah, they understand the difference more than the American people yeah. themselves. So I would really wish that people all over, but maybe in particular Americans, that they, because recently I was in a Facebook discussions in a friend, a really dear friend who's really nice. I mean, he's like a yogi and he works with Tai Chi. He's like the most peaceful guy you can imagine. But mm. he was, and he's not political on Facebook at all, but he got so frustrated because he feels like there's so much hate and division in the United States. So it's a, sort of developed. And it, when I came into the thread and tried to, to, to highlight, you know, hey, Americans, we need you to wake up to what your governments are doing around the world, they are completely oblivious. You know, they don't know and they don't want to know. And they all agreed after a while, not all of them, but quite a few of them agreed. Yeah, I have to. They, she has to be a Russian mm. troll. Yeah. <laughs> so Always blame the messenger. <laughs> yeah, but when are I wonder when are Americans going to wake up and stand up because they are the ones paying for all this? All these wars are paid by American tax dollars. Yeah, don't worry. They, uh, I mean, we we don't have time to discuss American politics. Yeah. But the fact that Clinton lost is is just the beginning. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, back to Syria. So yeah. I came to Syria in April 2017 for the first time, and all my. Uh, expectations were met in this that people are living their life as well as they can. There were, even then, in April 2017, there were less soldiers in the street in Damascus, mm. which was under mortar attack every single day, than in Paris. Mm. You know, France is under martial law. People don't know this. Syria is not. Wow. They never closed the internet. Yeah. Imagine that. They never closed the internet. Students are taking their exams. Children are going to school. Although in great danger, ten thousand people have been killed by mortars in Damascus. You know, I told you about Aleppo already. But, but what about these these waves of refugees that came? Yeah, there are millions. 
Yeah, well, they just manage. I mean, it's a strain on the city for sure. In one of the areas... No, no, I mean that came to Europe, including Norway. Oh, yeah, that's another thing. <laughs> yeah, I just have to say, I've always been skeptical to the claim and because... The problem for the powers that be is that they've seen an anti-war movement that averses them because today you have both on the right wing side and the left wing side potential for huge anti-war movement. So they need to split uh, those two. They, they can't have people come together despite left and right wing, right? So mm. uh, one of the things they can use to pacifize, to, to ruin, you know, for the right wing is the fear of refugees because the right wings are much more concerned about that than the left wing. And there was this meme that, oh, the terrorists are coming among the refugees. And I thought that was weird because Al-Qaeda, Daesh, all these people have so much money, passports, you name it. They have every, they can send hundred expert terrorists to any country in the world with the ordinary plane just going to the airport today if they wanted to. So I don't see why they would need to... Yeah, plus, many of them are imported already. And if you see, like in England, uh, they, they they took the passports of English people who went and joined terrorists in, in Libya. And then the intelligence gave them back to them uh, when the Syria thing happened because they needed them to get to Syria. Mm. So you have... They're, not, they're even facilitated by the intelligence. And we get to that in part two. After the break, we're going to get more into the structures behind. But... So I've always been critical to the claim that all these refugees, because if I lived in any Syrian city or any city in the world and there were like these hellish hounds coming here, they're going to butcher, they're going to rape and kill my wife, they're going to sell my daughters into slavery, they're going to cook and eat my son, they're going to crucify me, yeah. put my head on a spike, they're going to demolish entire society. Obviously, I'll either I'll either fight or I'll flee. Okay, so mm. uh, obviously many, many refugees were generated by this. So what, what do you say? Sorry for, for going on like this, but I just needed to get it. No, out. no, no. It, I think what you say is probably accurate. I'm not going to have um, a strong opinion on. I, I think you are right. But I also know that I spoke to Faris Shahabi, who is an independent parliamentary parliamentarian from Aleppo. Yeah. He said that there are lots of people going to Europe who are terrorists mm. and that they know who they are, but Western intelligence don't want to cooperate with them. They know all about their families, the money, everything. Why would you mean Western intelligence doesn't want to cooperate with Syrian they, intelligence? They don't want to cooperate with Syrian uh, yeah. officials. No. Mm. So, of course, the the big guns the the buses they have money for example when eastern ghouta was being liberated you know they bargain with the terrorists for example in eastern aleppo i don't know if you know about the green buses they bargain so tell us about that yeah syria from day one of the crisis an amnesty program so whenever an area becomes liberated they have the option the people there they could either lay down their arms and they get full amnesty and they can go back to society. Or if they don't want to do that, they get to keep their arms, the light arms, you know, not the yeah. big tanks and everything, but their own personal arms. And they can go to Idlib, which is like the last hub of terrorists. Okay. <laughs> Why would they do that? And in, 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 that's very intelligent. It's to, what are they going to do? If they're going to chase down and kill every terrorist, you know, it's 
the, the, the body count of sins will be very high. The sacrifice will be too high. They do this to protect civilians. And also to, to, to give people the chance to, you know, to come back to society. Yeah. Syria is going to live on. You have to have, you have to think about the future, you know. Yeah. See, this is in direct opposition to what the Americans do, like they did in Raqqa. You know, they just bombed everything, destroyed everything, make it inhabitable. So they, after, they can place the people they want there. You know, it's a sort of occupation. Yeah. So, <clears throat> leaving uh, Aleppo, there were all these green buses and rumors have it. I haven't seen it uh, confirmed, but I'm quite certain uh, because they did find, you know, foreign people and, and their FN, UN ambassador named them in a meeting in the UN, you know, Israelis, Saudis, different sort of nationalities. And certainly there were a lot of them going out and this was a bargain thing. You know, there's a lot of bargaining going on behind the scene. And the Syrian government is doing this to protect civilians because, look, they could have bombed eastern Aleppo to hell mm -hmm. and killed all of the terrorists, but didn't. So they have the same program going on, going all over. Uh, now I forgot your initial question, why I about that, but yeah, the terrorists going to Europe. Yeah. Okay, so, so, so <clears throat> before these things happen, you know, in eastern Ghouta, they which was liberated not long ago, I mean, a couple of months ago, they found huge networks of tunnels. And I'm not talking about the little tunnels where you have to crawl. Tunnels where you can drive huge trucks. Okay. You know, super professional. You, you can't imagine how modern it was. Underground facilities, I see. Yeah. Underground with field hospitals, wow. everything you can imagine. And who delivered the cement for all this? Yeah. Yeah, Turkey. it's Lafarge. It's a fr no, Lafarge is a French cement company. And there's actually a Norwegian who's in detention in France for terrorist money, transport, uh, different sort of accusations. Okay. So the big guns who were in eastern Ghouta, they probably before, but the ones who, who were staying, who, who did not want to take the amnesty, who said they wanted to go to Idlib, one of their conditions was they wanted to bring $900 million in cash with them. Where did that money come from? They have so much money. So what you said about the diet, people having money and just buying passports and coming to Europe is... Unintelligent contacts. They can get passports, anything, yeah. Everything, yeah. They have been working. Who are their bosses? What is Daesh? What is it? We'll, we'll get to that, so Kauri, but... No, the point is that what you said is most certainly accurate, that some of them, the big chiefs, of various organizations are so connected and so well-funded, they can travel freely all over the world. But, but I imagine if there's uh, terrorists among the uh, refugee wave, that must be terrorists who just decided, yeah. fuck yeah. it, I'm going home or I'm, I'm finding out the life for myself. I don't want to fight here. You see what I mean? Yes. There may be terrorists, yeah, but, exactly. but, but they're not there to, it's, they're not on, in operation. Because if they were in operation, they could come in a, <laughs> they could come in a first-class <laughs> plane to wherever in the world they want that, right? They don't have to go on boats. Mm, it's not that easy. It's not as easy as that anymore, you know, with electronic passports. I mean, I'm not an expert in that, but I can only quote people that I've met in who said for sure there are tests among these refugees going to Europe, for sure. Yeah, or, or on operation, like they... No, they... no, 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 not on the mission. No, that's Not on the mission. Right. No, no. And they also said, like Father Shahabi said, look, you have hundreds, probably thousands of homegrown terrorists in your own country who have been in Syria, 
cutting people's heads off, committing atrocities. And, and they're allowed to come home? Well, of course. N- the Norwegian state doesn't take the passport away from them. But how... What do you mean? Are you are we going to dump them in Syria and leave the trouble the problem to Syria? This yeah, is the big okay. dilemma now. Like some foreign some ministers of foreign affairs in some European countries because they had a big summit and they were discussing what the hell are we going to do with these people? Yeah. Some wanted to kill them and there is a lot of killing going on where they say it's between the different uh, groups. We don't know. There is a lot of killing going on. Uh, some say, yeah, we'll tell them that if they come home, uh, you know, we'll, uh, you know, they will take their, their, uh, citizens, citizenship away from them because I'm sure some of them receive benefits from their own country just to stay out of the country, you know, like from Britain and this and that. So they don't know what to do, but I'll tell you one example. There's a woman who used to be in ISIS and, uh, she's caught now she's in the, custody of Kurdish militias. Great. And there's a Norwegian politician who is in love with the Kurdish uh, whole Kurdish thing. (laughs) Oh, I know. He's from the Greens, right? No, he's in the Red Party, the the before so-called communist party okay but he's been into the kurdish people for ages and he doesn't i don't he's been to syria 30 times and he's taking him he's gone into syria illegally many many times but he talks about he talks about northern syria and assad's syria so he's he's a little bit but that's not the point the point is that she's now in custody of the kurds oh okay this Norwegian politician bring, brings home a handwritten letter from this woman begging to come home to Norway. And he's saying, yeah, it's just for a couple of policemen, to Norwegian policemen, to go to Iraq and take the boat over to Syria and bring her home. Like he's talking about, he's trying to make Norwegian police going legally into Syria to take with them uh, an ISIS criminal. It's just, he's just fantasizing. But the point is, he should have given, if he was in contact with this criminal, he should have uh, contacted the Syrian police. Because we have to understand that these people who are considered terrorists in our country, when they were in Syria, they were called uh, rebels. Oh. That's the big difference, you see? Mm. Because al-Nusra, all these al-Qaeda bands, groups, all the crimes committed in Syria, they were called rebels. Had they done in Europe, they would have been called terrorists. Right. So it's, of course. Yeah. Well, this is, it was a long rant, but I think, I think, yeah, probably a lot of them have money and passports, but according to Syrians, there are also some of them who are among the so-called refugees. Yeah, I, I can believe that, but I think, uh, uh, yes, like you say, it's it's on the bottom level, and uh, but it's interesting because it's almost as if the globalists then want to flood the countries with refugees. Um, yeah, and it's an industry. Make sure that there are some terrorists among them, because uh, then. Uh, but, but but my point is believing that oh no, we'll won't take any of these refugees. That won't save you. So so. First off, America, I know you didn't want to take any refugees and you almost didn't compared to many other countries. But as long as you're behind this goddamn war, you goddamn take them too. <laughs> uh, because it should be a law, it should be a rule that if you start a war, like Norway did with Libya, then you're going to take the bill too. Yeah. Uh, that's one. And two, refusing to take the refugees is is also insane. First off, it's just a decency uh, when people run away from this shit. 
you're going to open your door for them. Or if not, then stop fucking up their countries. That's one. But the other is, uh, if there's even are terrorists among them, that's not the reason to stop. If there's one terrorist among a thousand refugees, it doesn't help. Uh, anyway, it's impossible. It doesn't. It yeah, but it doesn't help you stopping them, even if you hold out that one terrorist, because those terrorists can get to America anytime they want. Nine eleven. <laughs> that people uh, that started all this uh, in, in as a meme at least they had no problem they were facilitated many of them were facilitated by intelligence and we're going to get to that but as long as uh, we have no control over intelligence agencies we can't stop terrorism either it's that simple but you know USA has taken in practically no refugees compared to the side of the country uh, exactly. Germany has one million yeah. refugees yeah. But you have to, there's a big difference between a refugee and an immigrant. Yeah. So what happened when they destroyed Libya? Because Libya was like a cork in the bottle. So many West Africans went to Libya. They got work. They got, they could feed their families at home. They could even bring their families. And Gaddafi tried to get Africa over to uh, a union independent of uh, the globalists uh, and, and central yes. bank that were loyal to them. Yes. Not to the international banksters. He had so many plans. He wanted to go over away from the dollar. Yes. And you don't do that and not get punished. No. We've seen that no. with other countries as well. But yep. but the point is that Libya was the frontier. The, the, the immigration stopped there because they, got, they found work yeah. and they could stay on the continent. And he warned Europe. He said, the sea will go black yeah. if you destroy us. And that's exactly what happened. But you have to understand that that the migration, the mass migration, is a huge syndicate. It's organized crime. It's it's not it's not like poor people finding some sort of rubber boat. This is organized. You videos of Libyan coast guards whipping the people into the boat and pushing them out from the shore. You know, ah. it's it's a huge moneymaker. Traffic, human trafficking, is one of the most lucrative businesses. Right. Yeah. Of course, I figure the poorest people they end up in local camps, because, uh, a refugee camp, because they don't have any means to get to Europe. No, but these are these are not even people who will go to a refugee camp. I mean, this is mass migration, and lots of people who have come to Europe who claim to be Syrian. I mean, they don't even know what the capital of Syria is. Yeah. <laughs> this is a huge business. Right. Of course, there are legitimate uh, risks, but most of the Syrians are displaced within their country, in Lebanon, yeah. in different countries around. In the, and so, so we, you have to differentiate, you know, because huge numbers who have come to Europe is organized. People have been incited and, and encouraged to come. But, well, I'm not going to have an opinion on it, but there are a lot of uh, elaborations on how this is a wanted destabilization of Europe. And you see the countries who refuse yeah. to take uh, any immigrants or refugees like Hungary are being demonized in the EU. But they say, hey, we have no part in this war. Why should we pick up the pieces behind you? you know? Is it Victor Urban? Is that his name? Yeah, I agree with him on that. And uh, there was in America a um, law that suggested, what is it called again? Uh, it was a suggestion for a law that says precisely what I just said, and that is that you have to take responsibility for the wars you're, you're going to... Yeah, but you know, the first, the biggest war crime is making war. Yeah. And initially, you know, when we started our talk, I said, you only need to know, you don't even need to know anything about Syria to know what's right or wrong. In this case and any other war, what are these things? It's one. 
sovereignty. Yeah. Every country is sovereign, which means they have defined borders that are, you know, you can't, you, I don't know what the word in English is, but you, you cannot cross the border without permission. Mm. Yeah. And then you have international law. It's against international law to wage war against another country. In yeah. fact, it's against this, the, I don't know how to call it in English, the Statute of the UN. Statutes. Yeah. yeah. A UN member country is, has, does not have the right to go to war to another UN member country. So what do they do? They don't call it war. Technically, United States, for example, is not again in war against Syria. No, no. They're just training people or they use other words. It's you know? a proxy war, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so they don't call it because there are rules for waging war. Like, for example, in the United States, you have to have Congress's approval to go to war. So you have to call it something else. Yeah, but even that they have uh, broken. And still, there's no re repercussion. No, no, they don't, yeah, they don't care. And what is the Congress? The Congress is a representation of the people. Mm. So they, and they did the same in Norway. You know, they, have, they do things in Norway. The government is doing things without going through the parliament. And the parliament is the people. So they are they are acting against the will of the people mm. and against the rule of the and against the rule because we have international law. So even though you don't know the first thing about Syria, you can have an opinion on the aggression and the invasion of Syria. And this is important because a lot of people, you know, they say, "Oh, this war in Syria is so complicated." You know, I don't know what to think, and you know, so they're afraid to express an opinion, so they just stay quiet. This is what I'm saying. You don't need to know the first thing about Syria because even though, let's say, that Syria was a dictatorship, like many other countries that USA is super buddies with, so even though if it were a di dictatorship with a, even a very mean dictator, that would not give any other country the right to no. invade or do anything to that country. That's all you need to know. You see, if you know that, you can have an opinion. Yeah. People challenge you and say, yeah, well, what do you know about Syria or this and that? And he's so mean, he's killing those people, blah, blah, blah. Stop. So is because obviously in the United States, if we are talking about that country, but we could many other countries, they are killing the wrong people. I always go to Saudi Arabia. You know why? Yeah. Because that is probably the worst country in the world today. The thing is, we don't know much about Saudi Arabia. I'd rather live in North Korea. Which is yeah. also. Oh, I would love to live in North Korea. I know lots of people have been to North Korea. <laughs> By the Korea. way, American audience, put is legal in North Korea. <laughs> so you could, you could chill there, live as a slacker. If you live in Saudi Arabia, you are. What, what did you say? People don't know what's going on there? No, listen, we were talking about the media and you said we were coming back to it. But yeah. just a few, like, uh, yeah, half a year ago or so, I, I tweeted, you know, who, what, where are Saudi Arabia? We don't see them. And obviously all the Twitter funny people said, oh, Kari Jackson thinks there's no people living in Saudi Arabia. That's, that was, of course, <laughs> not my point. The point is that who do we see? What do we see in the media? We see the royal family. That's all we see. We don't know anything about Saudi Arabia. We don't know anything about the millions of no. people living there. No, they have no voice. We don't know that 25% of the people that live in Saudi Arabia. We know they're being head chopped, okay, by the government. We know they're chopping off their heads. Yeah, they, they, that we know. But there are millions, tens of millions of people living there. And, you know, a quarter of them live in poverty. We don't see them. We just no. see the lavish lifestyle of the Saudi family. So... Yeah, maybe it's the worst country in the world. We don't know. The point is that it's none of our business what other countries do. That's what we have to just get into our heads. Mm. And all the time, we can assume that the conditions there are not very well because that is really, it's a, 
it's it, well, what is called it the dictatorship. It's run by a royal family. They don't even have a constitution. No. So we can assume that for many people, the living conditions are not good. Royal family. Uh, you know, stop calling them royal. The real royal <laughs> was ousted by the British a hundred years ago. His name was, uh, uh, Fai, uh, Fais, what was you know, Lawrence of Arabia, the movie, all that. There was, there was a true king. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, that's the, the, the country's name is from the family Saud. You know, it's like, I think it's... Yeah. Exactly. They were just some damn dirty monkeys that they found in the <laughs> desert. Fanatical, fanatical, degenerated beasts who, yeah, we're going to kiss uh, Britain's ass. And they ousted the real king, yeah. a beautiful humanitarian. He said the Jews can live, the Christians can live, the Muslims can oh, live. Oh, but you know, yeah, there, there was a huge Jewish... Uh, community and that actually some people say that that, that even the the family was jewish you know there were no, there was never any troubles between jews and christians and muslims in that region before the colonists came exactly. it was just fine it's and, it's, and the uh, british started this shit they started the real uh, yeah. bad shit then the nazis believe it or not took over in the 30s because fundamentalism uh, radical islam as they say in america but it's the real name is islamism political islam it's not the same as uh, islam islamism mm. uh, you know tafiri uh, salafi it started basically with this lunatic uh, Wahhabi thing in the yeah. 150 years ago. Now, the British propped them up mm. because they wanted control. They wanted the Turks out because the Turks, mm. the Ottomans were ru running the show and they wanted to take over all the resources, etc. So they weaponized these people and they financed them and they supported them and what happened uh, the nazis took over in the 30s and all the way to the 60s exile nazis tried to prop them up after the war against israel israel meanwhile was of course uh, established by the same brits that's when the brits lost these people <laughs> they went over to the nazis and in the 70s caa took over from the nazis the caa trained uh, osama bin laden we know all this uh, originally as a bulwark against the Soviets. Mm. Now, it's very interesting that in the view of academicians, all these fanatical people, the Wahhabists, they were always working for us, for the West, uh, except 9-11. Then they were miraculously independent. <laughs> and then they went back to work for us, you know, yeah. uh, in, in Libya, they worked for us. In Iraq, they worked for us. Both Saddam uh, in Iraq and Gaddafi in Libya offered the Western intelligence, everything they needed to crush these people, they weren't interested. Why? Because they already knew these things. They needed them. They've always been our useful idiots. And today they work for us in Syria. And you know what, Corey? We're going to take a break now. Yeah. Before I get the heart attack. And <laughs> when we come back, we're going to discuss more about the media lies mm, yeah. and the truth behind what I started to ramble about now, about... Mm. Uh, the real terrorists and where they come from because that's what I think people need to understand people need to distinguish between normal countries and normal people on the one hand and this artificial creation of a monster that's ruining they, they, people complain that they're ruining America and Europe the western world but more, and it's true but more than that they're ruining the Middle Eastern countries the Middle Eastern world that's they have much more problems with this they have much more victims of terrorism oh. than the West ever could get. Yeah, you can't even imagine. Yeah. It's uh, 
So, you know, in France, they had a couple of incidents. They have martial law that's yeah. now coming into the legislation. It's so convenient. In Syria, there are tens of thousands of people killed by terrorists and 100,000 soldiers dying to protect the country from terrorists and superpowers. Exactly. And they don't have martial law. Can no. you imagine? Yeah. And that's the way it's going. I'm so happy just that it's not happened in Norway yet, but um, we'll see. We'll see what happens in the future. Yeah, but uh, people, we'll take a break now and we'll be back in a short while. All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. Thanks. 